Oh, man, you guys look great this morning. Let's give God a big shout of praise as we move on in the service today. Can we do that today? Hey, everybody watching online, thanks for staying with us. Hey, if you just tuned in, just remember to like and share this live stream to help us get the word out there. Guys, we are now two Sundays into 2021. Doesn't it feel different? Doesn't 2020 seem so far away? Hasn't the world calmed down? Man, isn't it nice to see children of all colors walking hand in hand in the parks and butterflies floating around and rainbows and people jumping out on the streets singing songs and being so happy. Isn't it awesome? Yes. They're like, Pastor Josh, you're not living in the same world that I'm living in. Somebody said, where is that exactly? I want to know where that is. They were all getting reminded of the fact that 2021 is just kind of a transition from 2020. Nothing magical happens at the beginning of a new year. And all of our hopes and aspirations and all these things that we think we're going to do and all these things that we think we're going to see, you know, they can come true through the course of the year. But the reality is when you went to sleep on New Year's Eve and when you woke up on New Year's Day, not a lot had changed. The good news is, though, that not a lot has changed because God is still on his throne. God is still in control. He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. None of the stuff that we're seeing happening right now in our country and the world has affected him one bit. He is still in control of the entire situation. Okay, that's where I get my peace. Not by what Fox News says or what CNN says or whatever your news source today. See, we got a lot of bootleg news sources out there right now. A lot of underground news sources giving us all information. Doesn't matter where you're getting it from. Jesus is the source of peace. Okay? Not the information we're getting from the world. You know, I was thinking on that stuff and thinking about all of the things coming up for our church this year because... What do we have to be excited for if it's not Jesus? What do we got to be excited for if it's not God? If it's not what he's done in our lives? If it's not the faithfulness that we've seen him show over the craziness of last year? Man, how many of you can say that God was faithful last year? Through all the craziness, through all the trials, through all the upheaval, God was faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. You guys online, you know what I'm talking about. Because there were days where you didn't think you had enough in you to get through to the end of the day. But God gave you the strength that you needed to get through. He's faithful. You know, I was thinking about all that stuff. I'm thinking... And we're, we're, we're want to jump back into 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church starting next week to get our focus on him like never before. And we're crazy enough to, to plan a Super Bowl party on February 7th so that we can invite people in so that we can show them the love of Jesus and hang out and have some fun. And hopefully see Kansas City win another Super Bowl title this year. We'll see how it goes. But we'll, we'll see how all that plays out. But it's, it's just... If you're not careful, you'll let what you see paralyze you and keep you from moving forward. And when I look at the Bible and I look at God's track record, he's never been a God that shrinks back. He's always been a God that moves forward. And he's always called his church to move forward. And I was thinking about, you know, just moments from last year and, and moments just from life in general. And I started, you know, looking on... Uh, 
photos on Facebook, and I found this photo of, of me and my wife, Kelly. If you don't know who my wife, Kelly, is, if you're a guest here today or new watching online, this is her. She is much better looking than I am. This is a trip that we were blessed with to be able to take to Alaska, Alaska to go see my sister there, and we had a blast. Uh, it was so much fun, and I was thinking about that and thinking about the last we had there and, and how much fun it was and all the things that we got to see and started clicking around and I found this photo of my two girls. thought I'd share this one with you. Now, if this doesn't say parenting, I don't know what does. This is parenting in a nutshell, right? Parents, am I telling the truth? Let me hear an amen from the mamas. You know, like dads don't, mama knows the real truth right there. Listen, sometimes you gotta keep peace in the house, okay? Um, I was looking at my daughters, and they were just young as could be there, and Abby's so much older, Hannah's so much older now, and they're into all kinds of new trouble nowadays, and just thinking back on these moments in life. You know, life is made up of moments. Good or bad, life is made up of moments. And I was thinking, like, because I like to reflect this time of year and look back on things. I think, how many moments in history would it have just been really cool to be a part of? You know, outside of family, outside of friends, just key moments in history. Like, I would have loved to have been there to hear Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. give his I Have a Dream speech. I would have loved that, to have heard that happen, to have seen that happen. I would have loved to have been there when Germany finally surrendered and World War II was over. It would have been awesome to see that happen. You know, um, to think how awesome it would have been to be in the stadium when Auburn came back from 24 points down to win the Iron Bowl and beat Alabama and then go on to win the national title. That would have been awesome to be there to see that. But you think, I'm an Auburn fan, in case you didn't know. Uh, we all have our flaws, I guess. But, <laughs> but just think back on these moments in history, even recent history, to see these things happen. Would have been awesome. These great moments in the church. And I think none of those moments, though, would have happened if it wasn't for a moment a few thousand years ago, a couple of thousand years ago, when a guy named Jesus took his disciples on a walk. He said, I want you guys to follow me. And he, he took them on a, on a few days journey, just shy of about 100 miles from where they were, up to a region called Caesarea Philippi. And he led them to this place, and this is just textbook Jesus stuff right here, because he was leading them to a place that if you were a Jew, you didn't go to. And especially if you were a rabbi, you didn't go there because um, the temple of the false god Zeus and the temple of the false god Pan were there and they were sacrificing to them and worshiping them and doing all this stuff. And um, the place was literally known as the gates of hell because of all the demonic activity and the evil and the darkness that was associated with the area. Jesus took them there. You know, I think it was running through the disciples' minds when he gets them there. Why are we here? Here goes Jesus again, going to a place that you're not supposed to go to, reaching out to people you're not supposed to reach out to, and reaching across the aisle to those people that are supposed to be too lost and too dirty. Here he goes again. Jesus turns around and looks at them. 
covered with sweat and dust and dirt. And he starts what's going to happen here with two questions. And the first one is this. He looks at his disciples in the setting and he says, Hey, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they start rattling off answers. Well, you're you know, a great prophet. You're a great teacher. People are saying this and that about you, you know. And I don't think Jesus was so much concerned about what people were thinking about him. You know, that's just not Jesus. He was asking a question to set up another question. And he looked at his disciples and he says, okay, who do you say that I am? And this, this, was, this was amazing. Who do you say that I am? Because people are going to say one thing, people are going to do one thing, but who do you say that I am? And I think that's a question that we can ask ourselves today. You know, who, who do we say that Jesus is? Not the person sitting next to you, or not your mom, or your dad, or your grandmother, or what we believe here at a, as a church. You know, that's, that's what they say, but who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? This is an incredibly powerful question because our perception of who he is is going to influence everything that we do for him. It's going to influence our relationship with him. It's going to influence how devoted we are to him. Like If you think that he's just a God up in the sky who's ready to judge us and whack us, who's a million miles away, it's going to affect how you go to him. It's going to affect how you approach him. But when you understand who he really is and the grace and the love that he freely gives to everybody, see, seeing him in that light, it makes you want to run to him instead of trying to hide from him. Who do you say that he is? And I think that's a great question for all of us to ask heading into 2021, not just individually, but as a church. Who do we say that Jesus is? Is he just a concept? Is he just a building that we go to once a week to sing a few songs and give some money in an offering and hopefully get encouraged? Or is he really our Lord? Is he really our Savior? Is he really the building block, the foundation that we're building our whole life on? Who do we say that he is? It is a powerful question that Jesus is asking, and Peter opens his mouth and finally gets something right. This is one of those moments, A plus Peter, he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. It's amazing. Peter was recognizing everything. You are the Christ. You are the anointed chosen one. You are the Messiah. You are the one who's going to rescue us and redeem us. You are the son of the living God. You are God's son. You are here in the flesh, but you are 100% God at the same time. He got who Jesus was. And on that revelation, Jesus says this. In Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. On this rock I'll build my church. I want to talk about that word church for a little bit. There's so much going on in this passage of Scripture. Just 
geographically where they are and situationally with what's happening in, in the culture during that day and time and prophetically what Jesus is doing while he's there. We could spend like six or seven weeks just digging into what's happening here in this moment. But Jesus uses this word church. But it's not the word church that we're used to associating with. We think church. We think you and me, church. It's not what Jesus is saying. Church is a word that was used in the translation of original scripture to put down into some kind of word that would bridge the gap between its original meaning and what we would understand today as a concept. It goes beyond an organization to us, the body. But what Jesus was saying was this. He used a word called ecclesia. Ecclesia. He says, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Ecclesia wasn't just a word that Jesus pulled out of the air and created right then and there, okay? This was a term that was common in the day. That's why it's important to do a little bit of study beyond what you're reading in the pages of your Bible, because you're looking at a dynamic translation of the literal Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic um, language that the Bible was originally written in. Okay, you're getting a today version in most of the Bibles that you're reading. NIV, NLT, ESV, WXYZ, whatever version you got out there, there's like 10 million of them. Um, they're all translations of the original text. Ecclesia was a governmental term. Some of you guys might know that. You guys watching online, you might know that. It's a governmental term. And it, it actually, an, an ecclesia was a group of people that was chosen by a king or an emperor or a ruler. And their job was to represent that king when he was not present in a territory that they had conquered. An ecclesia's job was to come out separate from the body of the population and to enforce and execute and implement the commands and the laws of the king and the kingdom. So if the king said it, it was the ecclesia's job to implement it. And here's what's crazy, okay? It wasn't their job just to be middlemen puppets. But as long as they acted within the parameters of kingdom law or whatever the governing constitution of the kingdom was that they were in, as long as they acted within the parameters of that and in obedience to what the king had said and acting within the parameters of that vision and those commandments, whatever the ecclesia said was to be taken as though the king himself had actually said it because they represented his power and his authority not just his rule what Jesus was saying here is mind blowing when Jesus established the church he didn't just establish what we see here he established a governing body to rule in his place, to execute his authority in his place, to move within his power 
freely within the parameters of the truth of his word. This is why Jesus said right after that, he said, listen, on this rock, I will establish my church. The gates of hell or Hades won't prevail against it or overcome it. And then he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you operate in here on this earth will reflect what's in operation in heaven. And when you're in unity with my Father, when you say it and he said it, it is so. You're not just taking up a seat today. Okay? Yeah, you're the body of Christ. Yes, we are his church, but it goes deeper than that. Jesus established something powerful when he started the church. He started something powerful. Jesus, he he changed everything. Jesus changed everything. Everything. When he did this, Jesus changed everything in the world with his life and his ministry. I want y'all to get this today, okay? Hang out with me for a little bit because we're going somewhere on this journey. He changed everything when he started this church. Nobody had seen anything like it. He's talking about a, a, a representation of authority and power that is connected to heaven, but it's here on this earth. Nobody had ever heard of anything like that before. Nobody had ever heard of most of the things that Jesus was preaching because when Jesus showed up, the things that he was preaching went counterculture to everything that the world had known up until that point. Everything. Since the beginning of time, the world had operated by a set of standards and a certain way. And when Jesus began his ministry, he started turning all of that upside down. He looked at the the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He looked in the face of religion and he goes, nah, it's not going to be like that anymore. Now we're going to talk about something called relationship with your father in heaven. And you can be one with me like I am one with the father in heaven. Nobody had ever talked about anything like that before. Not, Not in the Jewish temple, not in any pagan temple. It had all been our attempt to somehow earn some kind of standing through our physical sacrifice for whatever God it was that we were worshiping. And Jesus said, none of that matters anymore. It is on me now relationship he changed everything with what jesus taught guys think about this he turned the world upside down the teachings of jesus went straight against racism went straight against slavery that was so prevalent in the day we're still dealing with these issues today we're still dealing with the the issue of race today and we act like it's something that started in the 60s jesus started dismantling racism and slavery over 2,000 years ago when he started opening his mouth and preaching this new gospel turned everything upside down And it's just as important today as it was then. Jesus taught 
and a society where women had no value at all. Think about this. They, they were pretty much less than possessions, just a little bit over pets and their societal standing. Like if you're a woman, you were, that, that, that's what you had to look forward to. You had no identity. You became the wife of whoever you married, but you had no voice. And here comes Jesus saying that women were equal with men because we were all the children of God and we all had the same value in him. Turned culture upside down. No wonder so many people hated Jesus. It wasn't just the religious leaders and while people were flocking to him because of the words of life he was speaking and the different concepts he was speaking and he was showing how different God's values were from our values. There were people that hated him because of the change that he represented. Jesus began to reach across aisles that you weren't supposed to reach across. Touching dirty people that you don't touch, speaking, healing, and bringing life. Crossing racial and cultural boundaries. He did this with every day of his ministry. Every day of his ministry. And then he turns around and he says to us, now you, now you will be my representative in this world. Now you will be the one who goes and carries out the work that I've started. You will be my ecclesia representing my standard, my rule of law, my, my way of life in this earth. And, and he, he absolutely changed everything. The early church, when, when they, they caught on to that as the disciples went out, they literally turned the world upside down, not just in a spiritual way, guys, but every way possible every way possible to the point where it is an undeniable fact in history that something happened around Jesus that could not be denied the world was not the same after him and whether you believe in Christianity or not whether Jesus is your Lord and Savior or not whether you 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 you're associated with that or not it doesn't matter the facts and the truth is undeniable Historical accounts cannot be refuted. Jesus and the church turned this world upside down. Even to the fact that an atheist can't even, they, they can't even discount what happened. It's just there. It's, it can't be denied. And, and in a book called The Triumph of Christianity, this guy named Bart Ehrman, Bart Ehrman teaches um, of all things, biblical theology and New Testament history and theology in a university. He's an atheist. Doesn't believe in God. And you know what the big hangout with him, and he's real open about this, he'll say that he could not figure out how to reconcile a God who is supposed to be a loving God, who is a good God, that allows evil in this world and bad things to happen to good people. Just couldn't rectify it. And it's really easy to do, by the way. Um, but he couldn't do it, so that was enough for him. He walked away from the faith, but he wrote this book that he teaches. It's called The Triumph of Christianity. I want to read you an excerpt from the book that this atheist wrote. So bear with me for the next couple of minutes. You guys online, stay with me, okay? Don't tune out. He writes... 
Christianity, it, it not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and on the even more fundamental level, the very understanding of billions of people about what it meant to be human. No one, now listen to this right here, listen to this statement, no one can deny it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. From an atheist. Why? Because the early church walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. They saw him do the things that he did. These disciples heard him say, I am going to establish my ecclesia here. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. They saw him crucified. They saw him dead. And then three days later, they saw this joker get up out of a grave. Now, I don't know about you, but if a dude can predict his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that's going to be my guy right there, especially if he can pull it off. And Jesus pulled it off. He pulled it off. These guys saw that. He was, he, after he was resurrected, he walked around and talked with people. You understand this, right? He ate with people, not just the disciples, but the early core group of the church. He appeared to people when he ascended to heaven. He did it in full view of the entire city like at lunchtime. People were slamming on their brakes, looking at this dude Jesus floating up to heaven in broad daylight in front of everybody. Over 500 eyewitnesses and historical accounts bearing the truth that there was a guy named Jesus who was killed, but suddenly he's up walking around talking to people again three days later, and nobody knows how it happens, but the church knew how it happened because it proved that Jesus was who he said that he was and it impacted them almost as much as Jesus had transformed them on the inside. And that fire that Jesus put in that group of people began to spread out into Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria like a wildfire. Because on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church moved forward. And then we met all kinds of opposition from an emperor named Nero. You guys ever heard of Nero? Nero was one of the most brutal and barbaric people to ever walk the face of the earth. His mission was to single-handedly stomp out this insurrection called Christianity that was teaching this stuff that, that not only pointed to Jesus as deity and pointed to the, the God of the Jews, this Jehovah God as the ultimate God, but they were, they were teaching these things that went against their culture and their philosophy because in Rome, women didn't have the value that Christianity gave them. In Rome, slavery abounded and Jesus was abolishing it. It, it. it went against everything that they stood for. So he said, we got to put this to an end. And so they drug Christians out of their homes and killed them on the streets. 
and put pressure on families and relatives and friends. And if you were related to somebody who was a Christian or part of the way, what the early church was called, the way, and you didn't turn them in, you were punished just like they were punished. And you were either killed or you looked at harsh prison sentences because you didn't rat them out. They took the early church and they impelled them on rods, dipped them in tar, and they lit them on fire and they used them to light the streets of Rome and they used them as torches in the Colosseum. They beheaded Christians just because Jesus had changed their life. And he ran them through with swords. They beat them with whips. They beat them with rods. They used them for entertainment in the Colosseum. And gladiators would rip them to pieces with their weapons for the entertainment of the whole society. They would take spears and pin them down to the ground and turn wild animals loose on them. Wild dogs, wild hogs that would just tear them apart and there was nothing that they could do. The apostles went out in the middle of all of that execution, all of that persecution, all of that bloodshed, and they still preached the gospel of Jesus. And the church still moved forward and spread like a wildfire. Every one of the apostles except one were martyred. Every one of them beheaded. One of them was actually filleted alive, crucified, ran through with swords and spears, stoned, set on fire, drowned, all the fates of the early church. And they could not be stopped. Just 200 years after the church faced the persecution of Nero, 200 years, they had completely transformed the Roman Empire and culture because they couldn't be stopped. In under 200 years, there was a Caesar, there was an emperor of Rome who gave his heart to Jesus. And he tore down every temple of every false god in Rome in every Roman territory, tore down the statues, destroyed the foundations, and declared that Jesus was the Son of God and Christianity would be the official faith of the Roman Empire and pointed people to him. Why? Because on this rock, I will build my church. And at gates of hell, 
I'm not overcoming. I feel the presence of God in this place. And when Jesus said that the gates of hell would not be able to stand against it, they would not overcome it, he was saying something significant because gates are defensive structures. You don't attack somebody with a gate. I never saw anybody in the army charging somebody with a gate. Gates are defensive structures meant to keep something out. And Jesus said, what I am starting here is going to spread like fire through this world. And there is not one thing that man or the enemy can do to withhold what I am starting here today. And it didn't just stop with Rome. Throughout the history since then, Christianity has moved forward like an unstoppable force, a wave. It's like a revolution that Jesus started transforming history. We have moved forward as the church, as his ecclesia, through wars, through famines, through plagues, through global pandemics. This isn't just the first one. We've seen kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall and presidents rise and presidents fall. And we have seen the best of the best become the worst of the worst. And the church of Jesus Christ has still marched forward one step at a time. Because on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it or overcome it. Throughout history, we, we, we see these people, these powerful People of faith. You see, Martin Luther jump up and call out a church that is getting it all wrong. A church that's saying you have to buy your way into heaven and earn your way into heaven and taking advantage of the people. And Martin Luther says, no, nah, no, it is by grace that we're saved. And he goes up to the church and he nails 95 theses to the door and begins a reformation that sweeps across the world. Because the church moves forward. And out of that reformation, you see powerhouses in Christianity like John Wesley. You see D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody. This guy would preach in a time where there was no television, no mass communication, no social media, and crowds of between 20 and 30,000 people would show up to hear the gospel preached by this powerhouse of the faith. He had this creed that he led his life by. He heard an evangelist say in a message, and it impacted D.L. Moody's life so much, he, he made it his motto and his credo for his life. It said, the world is yet to see what God can do through a person who will totally consecrate themselves to him. D.L. Moody said, I will do my utmost to be that person. Think of greats like Billy Graham, who impacted our modern era. Came from nowhere, dirty feet, country road. Came in contact with Jesus and he radically transformed his life. This man has preached the gospel everywhere during his lifetime. 
He counseled presidents. He counseled kings. He counseled religious leaders. He died, he died some time ago, but you know what's crazy? Even in his death, his ministry, the Billy Graham Evangelical Association, I think that's what it's called, or organization, is still reaching people for Jesus. It's said that that ministry is still reaching one soul for Christ every minute of every hour of every day. His ministry is carrying on even after his death. Why? Because on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus started something revolutionary. Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia throughout history, from then to today, guys, the story of the church has been a church that has moved on, undaunted, in the face of persecution, trial, hardship, with and without, the church has never stopped moving forward. And it lands at our feet today. We are his church. And we are his ecclesia. You understand that, right? It is just as true today as it was over 2,000 years ago when Jesus declared it. And each of us individually gets to decide what we're going to do with this message. What we're going to do in our part of this revolution that Jesus started that transcends culture, that transcends government, that transcends religion. It, it's, it's something that the world has never seen before. And it's still carrying on today. And on the seat next to you or in front of you, you've got a blank piece of paper. I want you to pick it up and I want you to look at it. that blank piece of paper represents your opportunity to write your part of the story. I wonder what you'll write. I wonder what I'll write. I wonder if Jesus tarries and he doesn't come back in our lifetime, which he very well may. But I wonder if he decides not to what history will write about us. The scribes of heaven will write about you and write about me. That in our opportunity to carry on this legacy, to, to do our part, to write our page, our line, in this beautiful story called the church, what will we, what will we write that, that we could have done a lot for the kingdom of God, but we couldn't get past the hurt in our lives? That, that we had the opportunity to see a revival sweep across our country that had never before in history seen anywhere. But we couldn't get past 
our past. We couldn't get past that church leader that hurt us so many years ago. We couldn't get past what, whatever the offense was with the person that sat on the other side of the building from us. Or we walked away from the faith because somebody wrote something mean on Facebook. And we could have been used by God to be everything that he said we could be. But we could not get past our own perception of ourselves. See past ourselves into the potential of everything that God said we could be. I want to challenge you today. As you're looking at that blank piece of paper, you guys at home watching online, I want to challenge you with the same passage of Scripture that Paul challenged the early church with in in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it reads... As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To live a life worthy of the legacy of the church. To live a life that lives up to the responsibility and the awesome calling of not just being a person that sits in a seat or gives in an offering or serves on a ministry team, but you individually get to be the ecclesia representing the kingdom of God on this earth. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Because Jesus died to give you the opportunity to become so much more than I think what we settle for. I want to challenge you today, and we're just a little bit into this new year, to stop and rethink what you think about church and rethink what you think about your life, rethink what you think about what your reality might be. I'm not asking you to do this. I'm not asking you to become a better version of you. Don't try to become a better version of you. Okay? Strive to become more like Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Strive to become more like you. And you imagine. Just imagine. These last few minutes that we're together today. Imagine. You guys online, imagine. Imagine a church that began to listen to the voice of God instead of the lies of the enemy. Can you imagine we all stepped out of our comfort zones into that person that God is calling us to be? that we lost sight of our shortcomings and trusted the God that called us out to the deep water to be able to sustain us through the storm. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if there was a church? Can you imagine if we as a church, all of us, not just some of us, but all of us, can you imagine if you 
running after God like never before in your life this year, starting today. And allowed him to work inside of you to transform you from the inside out into that beautiful creation that he envisions you to be. Can you imagine if all of us had our priorities right and God had that place on the throne in our heart and we all gave to support the ministries of the church and didn't just rely on the commitment of a few to carry through the ministry of them. Can you imagine how many people we could reach as a church if we all gave to the ministries of the church? Can you imagine if we all found our place to be involved, to be a part of the body, to use our gifts and our talents? And the ministries here, the outreach ministries that have yet to be birthed out of here, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we would stop being? I want you guys to get this. Can you imagine what this church would look like if we could switch our thinking from a North American 2021 version of what a church is supposed to be? And we became the ecclesia that Jesus said he was establishing on this earth. With all the power, with all the authority, with all the rights, with all the privileges. Because a church like that, the gates of hell will not prevail against. Bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. You guys watching online, if you would, just join with us in this moment. Bow your head, close your eyes.